0: I could also maybe write a story where it's like God comes and says, you're the new God, you know, and then that I That seems God like so much again.
1: responsibility.
0: Well, you know, I'd be God, so it wouldn't be that hard, <laughs> you know?
1: You just heard from Colin Amore talking a little bit about how he would not shy away from the responsibility of being God because he could handle it, because he would be God. (laughs) Would you be able to handle that, Alyssa?
2: No, I can't (laughs) handle being Alyssa. Not interested. I will not apply.
1: No one's asking either.
2: So that's fine. I'm we're fine with it
1: <laughs> we're gonna hear more from cullen later he was in here uh just about a month ago and sat down and was gracious enough to talk to us in the murder closet thank you for that cullen thanks cullen so you have that to look forward to later in the episode but first we bring you an interview with emily and brie from taco cat but wait we didn't introduce ourselves Oh, right. We didn't introduce ourselves. (laughs) Uh, I am the ever forgetful Arwen Mix here with the ever mindful Alyssa Atkins. Oh, hello. (laughs) But anyway, that business out of the way. Right. More
2: importantly, we're about to hear from Taco Cat. Yes. An exciting story from Taco Cat. Yeah, I think. I agree. I think they would agree, too.
1: I hope so. I hope they like it. I know that Brie listens. She keeps asking me, when is my episode of the Sub Pop Podcast? Hey (laughs) Brie, here it is. (laughs) So Emily and Brie were kind enough to meet up with me on a weekend just a few blocks from my house and I went over to Emily's apartment and she made snacks and we talked about how cute raccoons are and you know Uh, raccoons again again raccoons I was in a real you know sometimes I'm in a porn phase sometimes in a raccoon phase never the two shall never the twain shall meet I (laughs) swear um oh my dad listens to this so come on but (laughs) anyway so after talking about cute raccoons we sat down in her breakfast nook and had snacks and coffee and talked about what it's like when you're contacted by Cartoon Network to make the theme song for a really popular cartoon, this one.
2: Powerpuff Girls. All right.
3: How did this whole thing first come about? We got an email from a lawyer at Cartoon Network, and it was like, hey, we think your stuff is really neat. Um would you guys be maybe interested in working with us on the new Powerpuff Girl theme song? And then I think I've never answered an email so fast in my life. No, he didn't even say email me. He's like, call me. And I called him like one (laughs) second later. And I'm like, is this a joke? And like Googled his email and I was like, oh my god, he actually works at Cartoon Network. This isn't a mean prank.
4: He was just kind of like, so write a song. And I was like, this can't be how this is going to work. And then we were all
3: in the basement of our practice
4: space, like like growling, just like, ah, this is so, what do we do? Yeah, so we did some weird song that we just made up and wrote the lyrics to and everything. We sent it to them. The lawyer guy was like, this is great. I'm drinking brandy right now. Yeah. And we were like, great. And then the they, were,
3: they were like. You totally beat out the other three people we asked to do this. And we were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) We didn't know you asked three other people to do it. And then we went, we got moved to the next level. It's like a video game. Level two is like, actually, we wrote
4: a song for you to do? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The song already had like, vocals, lyrics, all of it. So I was like,
3: so... We were under the impression we had to do something like it, but not, they were like, we want it to be more like this.
4: And we were At like, first I was like, why aren't they just using this then? But then we had like a couple conference calls and then... But I mean, it's like it has to be exactly the same time, which is where we were having trouble because we're not really like a studio musicianship kind of band. Like, Love wasn't playing to a click track. We were literally recording it in the living room of Spruce House, which is where uh, 75% of Taco Cat lives. So we gave it a... Fluffy shot because there was you know, also a time a, yeah. thing where they're like it needs to be done next
3: week so we sent that in and then it's like self-recording and then <laughs> at that point they were like we're gonna send the composer up that did it we're gonna fly him up in seattle
4: he's like so what do you guys record and we're like in our living room he's like oh no <laughs> It was really funny, the
3: composer was really, really so sweet. sweet, but he um, is used to working with, you know, real, like we're a punk band and was used to working with, you know, studio musicians
4: and he writes, like, And he built videos. the first song himself with, like, different devices, yeah. so he's used to, like, because he's a composer for, like, video games and stuff, so, yeah, he was not quite ready for how, for we, just how professional we, we are.
3: <laughs> he handed us like all sheet music and me and Eric looked at each other and just started sweating and we were like, we don't know how to read that at all. The
4: and he was like- out of the sheet music was one of my favorite like, moments of our whole oh <laughs> career.
3: <laughs> and we, all, we were like, we can't read that. And he was like, oh, and he was like, okay, okay, scrap the sheet music. We're gonna figure this out. Me and Eric both like tried to learn exactly how he had written it, but it's like too hard for us. Like it's like walking bass lines and shredding layers of guitars, but and, like,
4: stadium drums are just like yeah yeah.
3: <laughs> and so we were like we can't do that, but we can do Ramon's drums and then dumb down this bass line yeah. to be only the root notes and and then we've got a couple, you know, we can do it. And we spent like 3 or 4 days just 15 hour days. Yeah, figuring out a good compromise. And it was like hard work.
4: It was like the hardest I've ever worked at anything musically. And it turned out really cool. It's like not final mixes yet, but the last time that I heard the mix was really good. Yeah.
1: So how is that whole process different than the process you just finished recording your most recent record?
3: All our songwriting for that is just so um, more natural. It's just like, We, like, come up with ways to play things, and I think the thing that we work a lot on is revising it. Like, we're like, oh, we need to cut how long this verse is or something, like, it's just, like, kind of, we, like, feel it out instead of it being, like, so structured and stuff. Just Mm -hmm. kind of more intuitive to, like, how we play music.
4: Yeah. Did it
1: change anything about your process? Like, having this experience with the theme song for the Powerpuff Girls, did it, like, were you like, oh, we can approach this this way, or did it maybe on the other side, like just kind of reinforce, like that's not how we do things?
3: Maybe, maybe a little bit. You know, this was the first time we've ever recorded our track separately. We like, I've never recorded my bass separate from like Eric and Milo. We always track everything live and then add Emily's vocals right after. Um, and this was kind of a pre-cursor to like how we recorded things with Eric Blood mm-hmm. because he had us record like that so it was kind of a good studio experience since we don't have a lot of it
4: and like Leela doing the click track type stuff yeah that was definitely the most pro thing we've ever done <laughs> so I guess yeah doing everything separately this time was a little bit of a baby step in that direction yeah it was cool doing everything separately this time. I mean, I'm always separated out, so it's not really was much different for me, but uh, I thought it was really neat to watch just, like, Leela going for it and getting moved into, like, different chambers for her drums and then, like, watching you play along or just this, like, building a little, like, Taco Cat house with all the different parts, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, (laughs) this is fun.
1: That was Emily and Brie of Taco Cat. You did not hear from Leela and Eric of Taco Cat in that <laughs> interview, but you can see a picture of those two as prom dates.
2: Oh, you can and should.
1: Yeah. At subpop.fm. It is so cute. And I, I'm going to go ahead and say that everyone in Taco Cat is a candy loving angel and <laughs> I adore them. And three of the four members of at spruce house, which we talked about in the last episode of the sub pop podcast
2: that's excellent yeah prom photos just the kind of bonus content you can count on us for making seattle connections bringing you embarrassing photos it's great come to us at sub no visit us (laughs) at subhop.fm but first another place while you're surfing the web (laughs) surfers head on over to the mega mart and if that doesn't convince you maybe this Stuart fletcher ad will take it away Stuart.
5: You know the cinematic cliche of the person pushing the baby stroller into the street and like a car is coming?
1: I don't think they push the stroller into the street. I think the stroller like someone lets go or it falls. I don't think it's like...
5: Oh no. I'm... That too. But there's a... there's like a bad a...
1: guy? Like pushing a baby into oncoming traffic?
5: No, this would be in a movie where this is like mostly extraneous to the plot. Um, say there's two cops, Starsky and Hutch. Right. Like, somehow observing this scene. Turner and Hooch. Yeah. One of those is a dog, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. Say they're on a stakeout, and, like, they've been there all night, and now it's morning. And there's a person pushing a baby stroller the person pushing the stroller doesn't realize that a car is coming. They're just like oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've been up all night too. Sure. Um, and so the cops, of course, are like, oh oh my oh my God, you know, we have to stop this. There's a baby that's gonna get hit by a car and this person is oblivious. Right. And so, you know, the tension ramps up and stuff. Um, the car hits the stroller and you're like, oh my God but immediately you realize it's just full of aluminum cans. And it's, it's so, it's just cans. It was only cans, you know? Yeah. That same sense of relief is what you get from buying a Sub Pop logo t-shirt at the Mega Mart. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Up next, we have um, our interview with Colin Omari, mm-hmm. uh, formerly of the Chicago band Smith Westerns, which he started, I believe, when he was in high school. That's correct, right? Yeah,
1: he was in high school. He was really young when that first record came out um, to critical acclaim. And we talked a lot about him going on tour and what it was like to have like success at that young age and what it was like to really have music be the only thing that he's ever felt enveloped by, mm-hmm. which comes up in this interview. Uh, but we didn't start there. We started with
0: accessories. Recently, within the past year and a half or so, I was cleaning out um, some of the boxes in my house or something. and um, I had one from when I was younger, and there was a lanyard in it. And it like was a lanyard that said like yeah baby yeah like a uh, Austin Powers themed <laughs> one that I had from years ago, and so I put it on my keys and kind of was like oh I'll I'll have it around it's funny, but within the first week or two I realized that having the lanyard was probably lanyard was probably one of the best um, decisions I've ever made.
1: Why? Because
0: one, it makes your keys so big that you can't forget them. <laughs> <laughs> Two, I don't ever wear it around my neck. I usually just hold it and like swing it around while I'm walking. So it like gives you something to do and like you just like you know, swing it around and you could I guess you could hit someone if like they attacked you or something. It's one of those things that I think also looks cool because it's just something that you don't you don't wear. Yeah. Now a lot of people like us like our age wear them, you know? Yeah.
1: But now now that they're gonna hear this. Yeah,
0: now now yeah, they're really gonna, gonna, gonna set the trend. Everyone, I'm gonna have to burn it.
1: So if you had a typewriter and anything you wrote on it could come into mm-hmm. fruition, like what comes to mind? Like what do you want to do first?
0: Well, I would first like you know try to get a good amount of money because um, you know. That but can... would you
1: have like a way, or would money just appear?
0: Well, I would probably just like write in like I have um, like a really enterprising stockbroker friend. I give him like $5 and he's so good, he can turn that $5 into like 10 billion in a day. And cause he's just like so, he's just so smart. So I get the money. And then I think after the money, I, I don't really need the typewriter. Cause I mean, the, the money just works just as well, you know?
1: So if you had a time machine, would you choose, if you could only go one way, if you could only go forward or backward in time, which direction would you want to go and where would you want to go
4: to?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's hard. I mean, probably not no later than the last 100 years. I mean, I'd probably go back to the 60s or 70s um, because I feel like musically I I have the most affinity with that time period. I would... um Try to make my own music there, and then if couldn't, I would just like remember some old songs and, and <laughs> just make Just write them. Right be- them. <laughs> yeah, make them be- yeah.
1: So, what era, 60s and 70s, are we talking about? Like, who are you running with?
0: I'd probably go to London, hang out with like David Bowie and Mark Boland then. Yeah. And then I would kind of maybe like chill with them and segue into like kind of the Roxy music era. Okay. And then I would um, basically finding a trajectory like David Bowie from, you know, Ziggy Stardust up to the Berlin era and then just kind of really enjoy the 80s, you know? Hang out with, like, Brooke... Like, date Brooke Shields.
1: (laughs) When it comes to people mislabeling your stuff, which I imagine is annoying, but, like, at the end of the day for you, does that
0: matter? I think for me, there's... There's me and then there's my music, It's they're, they're the same thing, you know, and I think I derive a lot of my self-worth from how my music is perceived and who perce- who likes it and who listens to it and how, how it does. So even, you know, I'm fine with someone criticizing it, but if the, the way they criticize it is in a way that doesn't make any sense or they're coming from some angle that they obviously don't get it. And also, I think that, you know, right now I get that there's so much stuff out there that when you listen to something, you just want to listen to the first 15, 20 seconds of it, and if it doesn't click, it doesn't click and you move on. But a lot of the music I've grown up listening to, a lot of the music I I respect the most is is immediate, but at the same time, it takes a while to fully, you know, ingest it.
1: That seems like a really vulnerable place to exist like having yourself like the music like you are the music and like you're so Mm -hmm. intertwined with it especially now that like you're doing this thing on your own yeah yeah so you're just like how do you navigate that like if people are being shitty to you like even on the internet it still cuts so like what do you do
0: i think now um that i've been doing it for a while since the one smith western's record that came out that that did well was like 2011 or something, so now we're like five years removed from that. I feel like I've been able to kind of just, I guess, deal with it a little bit better. Do you ever engage? No, no. I mean, I think, you know, one thing I've learned from from doing is, you know, when you engage the trolls or, you know, you try to start fighting with some writer, a music writer or something, it just comes off looking bad on you, you know. Um, You know, I'm still, you know, wrapped up in the music and how it's perceived and how, you know, everything like that but i also think that you know i don't care as much people are hungry for a narrative and that's something that is true in in mainstream media and in, in pop music and and is true in in indie music as much as i think people like to think it's not you know there's also a certain amount i think of you know crafting an image yeah. you know
1: What's a line of conversation or something that like you don't get to express usually
0: one of the things I guess I could talk about that I never get ta- asked about is kind of being half Asian or being you know an Asian American which is definitely a different experience than you know kind of most of my other indie peers or whatever sure I think some of my detractors kind of look at me as you know, um, from stuff I've done in the past and acting cocky as happening through you know a white male kind of Lens or whatever. When I guess my experience overall is, even though I'm only half, a lot you know, growing up, you're seen, you know, or at least I was when I was in school as being Asian. So I think my experience as an, I guess, adult or as a growing up was through an Asian, like an Asian male kind of um, experience.
1: Like you're getting painted as like having this like white male privilege, but that's not the experience that you've lived. Yeah. Well, I
0: feel like I feel like when I came out earlier on, you know, we were we were cocky, so it came off as like. They're rich kids. They're like these, like, you know, like, we're like the Strokes or something. Like we went to the Upper East Side, you know, school or, or whatever, went to boarding school, which, which isn't the case, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where I feel like most of the stereotypes of Asians, like you're just a nerd, you know, there's no kind of like cool stereotype, you know? It's not like, um, you know, there's a ton of Asians in music or, you know, it, there's not a lot, of, there's no Asian leading men or whatever.
2: Cullen Omari, you can find his debut sub album out March 18th. New Misery. Yeah, on the Mega Mart. Go get it.
1: Yes. Um, and find out more about Cullen at subpop.fm or follow him on Twitter. You can also follow us on Twitter. Won't you please? We are at sub Pop Podcast on Twitter, tweeting, tweeting responding, away. wanting to know what you want to hear on the subpop podcast. We are listening, so find us there.
2: You can also find us on Facebook, the Sub Pop Podcast. You'll see more examples of the lovely art from each of our episodes and conversation starters galore. Yes. Find us there.
1: Extra pictures and videos and links to things you didn't even know you wanted to see but can't look away from.
2: Yep. And then next week, what may or may not be on episode seven? Eight. Eight? (laughs) This is episode seven.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) Next week, what might we be hearing? We may be hearing from Kristen Control, who I spoke to recently. uh, And we may also be hearing from Jen Champion, who I also spoke to recently. (laughs) One of those two people was in a movie with Lemmy. I'm not going to give away who, but we do talk about that. And the other one did yoga in front of me as part of the interview because can I, you guess which one is which because <laughs> i don't know how to stretch and they were helping me out oh that's very helpful yeah something called child's pose Hmm. Yeah, i didn't know now
2: you do now i do thanks to this mystery guest that thank will you be mystery guest All whichever you one time. you are thanks also to emily and brie of taco cat and colin omari we really appreciate your time
1: yes thank you talents. so much This week, you heard music yes. on the Sub Pop Podcast from Colin Omori, Taco Cat, Don Gibson, and of course, Mud Honey.
2: Thanks, Mud Honey. And thanks also to the Sub Pop Brass DJ, CJ, Ease My Mind, Chris Jacobs, <laughs> Megan Jasper, and Jonathan Poneman.
1: Thank you. Thanks, guys.
4: Indefatigable, 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 indefatigable.